It is Crown Corner as we get you a recap of what happened with the Seattle Sounders game on the weekend. And uh, to put it bluntly, that was a drunk one. If uh, Charlotte FC had a game that was more crazy than that one, I haven't seen it because Charlotte FC came back from three losing positions to equalize each time against the Seattle Sounders, earning one point. And I know a lot of times, Jess, when we play games, we talk about, you know, a lot of times draws sometimes feels like a win, sometimes feels like a loss, but ultimately they all count the same. This one kind of feels more win-ish, especially when you think about how much Charlotte FC had to overcome to get that point. I know you never want to take necessarily a home draw, but I think against that team, you'll you'll take the point and run. Yeah, absolutely, Will. I think that in the end, the grand scheme of things, to go behind that many times and then still be able to pull out a result in terms of a point it is impressive. And we talk about the importance of breaking that losing streak before the international break. So I think that makes it even more pivotal that we either got a point or a win. Honestly, it felt like one of those games where once we got that third goal and Patrick Adjuman kind of said it in his press conference after the game as well, it felt like the team was going to go for another one. And it felt like if there was three, four more minutes, maybe we mm. would have. But you can't, at the end of the day, say, oh, well, that's just a point. No, that was a hard-earned point that displayed a lot about the resilience and the mental toughness of this squad. And I think about how, and you and I talked about this in the pregame show, you know, how almost... I would say cocky the Seattle fans were because they were getting some reinforcements back with Raul Ruiz Diaz and Christian Roldan. And we, we saw a lot of the social media, not only uh, in the lead up to the game, but also in the aftermath. Uh, they were angry about that point. So I almost take a little bit of solace in that. Anytime you're able to anger a the team and, and even I even saw some of the comments that Brian Schmetzer made he said you know he had no idea how those three goals are scored uh, a little bit of arrogance I think from his part but even though Christian Latanzo kind of said the same thing he thought the team deserved more so I think a, a game like that when both managers feel like their team deserved more I think that's uh that's pretty much the uh, the makings in my mind of a proper match in my opinion yeah, and I think not many neutrals listening to us, but if there are neutrals out there, what an incredible match that was for the neutral. If someone just turned on Apple TV randomly or Sirius XFM and were listening to us, it was an insane match of football and it had a little bit of everything. It had the drama, it had the physicality, it had incredible goals from both teams and it was just a great spectacle for MLS and I enjoyed it. It's a shame that we conceded those three goals and I think that if there's one sort of downside on this result, it's the fact that we've conceded multiple goals again. But at the end of the day, the good news is that at least we're scoring goals this season and we get three new goal scorers, which goes to show that for the crown, you can't, you know, you, you're not just this one trick pony that has one player's getting so many goals like you saw with Seattle Jordan Morris with nine goals no other player before that match had more than two goals obviously Rui Diaz changed that stat uh, against us I'm glad we're not a one-trick pony going forward and have those new goal scorers to our name I want to put a pin in the, in the one-trick pony part because I want to stop down on the defensive side and we'll talk more about the positivity in a moment but I know a lot of people are wondering kind of 
from Charlotte FC's perspective, you know, what plans are being made to try and rectify the defense, which, as we've mentioned a bunch, a bunch of times, has given up more goals than anybody else in Major League Soccer with a 33 conceded. And as a result, I think from Charlotte's perspective right now, a lot of that's due to uh, a stat that you brought up during the broadcast. They've had to start 22 different people over the course of this season, which is more than anybody in Major League Soccer. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can make that 23 different people with potential return of Guzman Carujo at some point in the near future. And I think the 10-day break will allow for him to at least possibly get as close to being fit as possible, if not all the way there. I think a Melanda Carujo combo at the center back position just, just makes things so much stronger for Charlotte FC. Also getting the opportunity to get Westwood and Jones back together in the midfield. I think Ben Bender offered something as well. They're getting closer and closer to their strongest 11 back. And of course, uh, Enzo Capetti and Camille Yosviak can help with that as well. But solidifying that spine is, I think, something that's been unfortunately a bit of a moving target for Charlotte FC this season. And I'm just wondering with Carujo's re involvement with the team, how much that can shore things up for them. I feel like a broken record every pregame show because I'm always talking about the importance of defensive chemistry and the importance of defensive stability. And that's been something that this side hasn't been able to have due to injuries, due to performance level changes. We just haven't been able to have that consistent back line with the same goalkeeper. And I think part of that is contributing to the fact we've conceded so many goals because we never have that unity or consistency week over week defensively. When you look at Adelson Melanda, really the only ever present member of the back line. He even missed a game two games ago. So it's always difficult when you're switching that up. I think that we saw uh, yesterday, yeah, Saturday, gosh, losing track of my days. It's been a whirlwind that we have some very good fullbacks when they're able to perform. Jalen Lindsay has been brilliant and gets the goal to his name, but also has a great defensive game as well. I think we saw some of the best of Nathan Byrne as well, picking up that assist. We need consistency now at the back line, not just in the lineup, but consistency in the players that are playing. When we see the best out of them, we need to find a way to generate that week over week. And I think having Guzman Carujo in the back line helps everybody in the back line. When you have that leadership, when you have that experience, when you have that player behind you that is willing to put his body on the line, that's willing to sacrifice everything for this squad, but that's why we're not rushing Guzman Carujo back because the glimpses we've seen of him so far hasn't quite been the Guzman of the 2022 season. And I think with a couple more, you know, uh, days of rehab, days of stability, we will see Guzman Carujo return to his full strength. What have you noticed tactically? Because I know we've talked a lot about how the pinched-in fullbacks have left us vulnerable on the on the the ends and the boundaries. Uh, obviously, playing a high line in the middle has also been a tactic that they've used to try and almost play that offside trap. It leaves Christian Kalina in a very vulnerable position at the back, trying to play the super keeper. I know they've varied their looks a lot more, uh, especially on Saturday, but as we mentioned, to no avail. What have you noticed Christian Latanzio try to do and, and what he's tried to arm uh, his players with in terms of trying to make sure that uh, they can at least try as much as they possibly can to keep the opposition off balance? Yeah, I mean, it's high risk, high reward. You mentioned the pinched in fullbacks, and we see that at times it helps because you're able to get numbers into the midfield, but it leaves a lot of space. And against a team like Seattle, we were able to see how they had that big switch in their repertoire and were able to find the space in and behind the fullbacks. We saw and we've seen it against some of the stronger attacking teams this season. Uh, Brant Bronico, Derek Jones rotating into a back five. And we see that sometimes we step our 
centre-backs into the midfield to offer numbers in the midfield, but then we sit a midfielder back into the centre-back role. And listen, these are all very good tactics on paper, but at times it's a very complicated system. Do we have the personnel in our depth pieces to continue to play this way? I'm not 100% sure. And it's a system that requires a lot of intense training, a lot of intense understanding and soccer IQ. And I think we've seen moments where it works, but we've also seen moments where teams have been able to exploit those complicated tactics. And for me, with Derek Jones playing at centre-back, I just want to see DJ in midfield consistently. You know, I just think we know that Derek Jones is one of our best defensive midfielders on the pitch. So you're saying that it could be a scenario where they're putting almost too much on the plate of the defenders and it's it's causing some of those miscommunications? Yeah, I think that, honestly, I, you want all your players to be able to handle elite tactics 100%, but that's not in everybody's game, right? And it can be difficult to adjust at certain stages in your career when you've played one way or the other. At times, maybe simplifying it for certain players may be able to see us get the best out of them. I know Nathan Burns come under high criticism, and understandably so. He's had moments. Bill Tuiloma, a lot of criticism. But at the end of the day, if you're kind of trying to play them in a way that isn't natural to them, are they always going to be able to succeed? I don't think so. And looking at uh, the opposite side of things, uh, I give Christian Latanzio some credit because I think he was a little sheepish uh, on purpose when I asked him a direct question about whether or not Charlotte FC needs to diversify its attack. And he basically pointed back to the fact that, look, it's hard to do with Enzo Capetti and Camille Josviak uh, not in the lineup. And I think anytime you have two DPs out for any team, it's going to hurt them. Well, he had a little something up his sleeve because Charlotte FC definitely with Ben Bender used the attack in some different ways. He created some space because we know he loves to run. Uh, we talk about the first goal with uh, Carol Svidersky with an incredible athletic performance to find uh, not only dink the ball back into play, but also find Jalen Lindsay for the back post run. Uh, Ashley Westwood with lots of glory from the top of the box shot to make the second goal. And then the great cross in from Burn, as you mentioned, to get Patrick Ajibon his first major league soccer goal. And then another goal uh, to boot, which I'm sure we'll talk about here later on. But just the fact that those are three unique goals and it wasn't, you know, the usual type of attack. We've talked a lot about them being on the wing a lot and trying those, you know, prayerful crosses that really don't necessarily end up in anything going dangerous. Uh, Charlotte FC was a much more dangerous side attacking than they had been in most recent games. Yeah, it was refreshing to see us try different things and Seattle couldn't handle the variety of the attack that we showed. We saw some direct play. We saw counterattacking. The possessional play seemed really quick with a purpose. I look at that goal from Ashley Westwood and how fast we were able to transition the ball from one end of the pitch to the other through multiple players. It just looked like there was an understanding of roles, an understanding of purpose and a freedom to kind of move a little quicker and take those gambles going forward and catch Seattle on the counterattack. I think the biggest thing we take out of this as well is the fact you've got three new goal scorers. A lot of the time we talk about pressure on forwards and then wanting to get that first goal and kind of have the floodgates open per se. And when you have three players find the back of the net, that's always a great sign for a side. Yeah, that that Westwood goal was such a chef's kiss moment because you saw the full buildup with, with Westwood getting it out of the area in his own side and then making the run on the other end to try and make the, the goal happen. It, it was this real scenario where it was a real team goal 
We saw that at times last year. We saw Sergio Ruiz score one of those. We saw Derek Jones score one of those. And and those were moments that were, I think, real galvanizing moments for a side. And I think anytime you can score a goal of that nature, it's going to lift the whole side. Yeah, when nearly everyone in your midfield and attacking third touches the ball in a goal buildup, it's a great team goal and it feels good in the way that you were able to transition the ball up the pitch convincingly. And I think that it was a goal that Westwood needed in terms of he's been very, very good with his distribution, but then to be able to show how he can finish the ball and, and kind of get that boost of confidence himself to take those rips from outside the area. I'm expecting to see Ashley Westwood unleash more balls like that in the future. So I mentioned this a couple of times since Saturday. You and I were talking about the potential for that Mackenzie Gaines, Patrick Ajiman foot race after the contest because the subs, when they play, uh, even though they play sometime in the second half, a lot of times people who are subs uh, will have that after the contest calisthenics and training uh, with the physio staff after the contest. I saw Ajiman basically from the moment he uh, thanked the fans, he went right into the stands and, and right into uh, the, the locker room, didn't do the calisthenics afterwards. And I knew he probably was going to do some media because he scored the equalizing goal. But I wondered if whether or not uh, with Crown Legacy playing on Sunday that he might earn himself another shift. And lo and behold, he definitely did. Got the flight to Columbus Crews, uh, historic Crew Stadium, and was an immediate impact player. He scored the opener for Crown Legacy. Unfortunately, uh, Charlotte FC second team lost 2-1 on Sunday. But an amazing weekend for Anjuman. He scores his first Major League Soccer goal, equalizing in the uh, late stages of the game on Saturday, and then another goal on Sunday, becoming the first player to have an opportunity to score goals at both levels in the same weekend. Uh, what do we say about a guy who, as a rookie out of Rhode Island, following in the footsteps of fellow rookie Brandon Cambridge, as players who have had impacts for both Charlotte FC's first and second sides? I think that you struggle to find the words of praise for him and the fact that he's overcome that adversity. It's very difficult to be subbed at half time and then recover from it. And he did that. He brought the correct attitude the minute he stepped on the pitch. His work rate is insane. His positioning is good. He rattles defenders with his presence. He's not afraid to throw his body around. But what I love most about Patrick Argyman is the grace and the humble way he talks about himself as well you listen to that press conference after the game and he's all about the team he's all about positivity and he's all about gratitude towards charlotte fc and crown legacy for the opportunity he's been given he's well aware of his limitations as a player and knows what he needs to do to become better and that is an extremely mature attitude to have and those are the players that become successful the players that understand that they're not the finished product right out of college, that they may need time with the MLS Next Pro team, that they may start as a bench player, that they're not going to be the instant rookie of the year, so to say. It is very, very impressive. And I think the sky is the limit for Patrick Argyman. Well, you mentioned the limitations he has as a player. I just look at the traits. Uh, I look at the fact that it's a guy who's, uh, we, we've talked about the stat a lot. He was the fastest guy in the college combine in Cary, and he's somebody who, with his frame, his six foot four frame, he presents a pretty inviting target. And with the strength that he has in his lower half, he has the ability, and I, I use the the basketball term a lot he boxes out his position when it comes to center backs and there are not very many in this league who could stand up to that kind of size uh, I understand that everything is still a work in progress for somebody who only has a couple of MLS contests under his belt and I think we have to like uh, we do with Cambridge maybe uh, hit the pause button on expectations but I think it's somebody who can definitely provide a different type of attack and 
I kind of liked the, you know, two up top look of Ajiman and Svidersky late in contests, not to completely demerit what Enzo Capetti brings to the squad. I think he can maybe even do some of the same things. If you put the three of them on the on the field together, I think it'd be, it'd be very, very inviting. But in terms of what he brings to the table, it offers something a little bit different. I know it's not necessarily the same kind of thing that Charlotte FC had last year with Rios and um, Svidersky on the field at the same time in his two-striker form, but I can see Patrick doing a lot of dirty work to free things up for anybody who's playing in concert with him in the attacking third. And also the last thing a defender wants to see when they've been run ragged for 70 minutes is the likes of Patrick Argyman coming off the bench because they know it's going to require a lot of focus. They know it's going to require positional awareness. They know it's going to require strength and being in that battle and to bring on a fresh player that's willing to throw their body around, that's willing to use their body in the correct ways to draw fouls, that's not afraid of committing a foul or two as well. We saw him pick up the yellow card, which, by the way, we're going to have to get used to, unfortunately, because the nature of the beast when you're built like you are is that referees are going to be quicker to show cautions, right or wrong. So I think that it's just exciting to have, like you say, a different point of attack, someone that can switch up and change the way you play and against certain oppositions that maybe don't have that physical backline presence. He could be a very, very dangerous player to have on the field. I also want to shout out and, and give some kudos to Jalen Lindsay because he's somebody who we talk about a lot as a fan favorite, Charlotte native. It's pretty obvious to see the connection with the fan base here. He gets his first goal with Charlotte FC. He had a couple of goals at Sporting Kansas City. And uh, I love how you referenced the moment of him looking at the first home game and, and being in his hometown and, and having that callback to the game against Galaxy and, and how important it is to him. I know it's important to everybody who puts on the Charlotte FC crest, you know, even guys who aren't 100% Charlotte natives like Brant Bronico, but have a lot of time in the state, uh, make it special. But to, to see that Charlotte native get that goal in his home stadium, I, I think it was just such a special, special moment. And you could really see what it meant to him to get that goal and, and kind of have that that bookend moment from what happened uh, in the opening portion of, uh, of his Charlotte FC season. And honestly, when he's on the field to start the game, they, uh, they get results. They had uh, four victories of the six victories have come and Jalen Lindsay starts. I think it's now three of the four draws that he's been on the field at the start of the contest for. So uh, play Jalen Lindsay and you get points. Yeah, I think that Jalen has been a real professional during this experience with Charlotte FC, right? It can be difficult when you come with MLS experience, when you're expecting to be a guaranteed starter from the get-go. You were given a starting opportunity, then your bench, then you're given an opportunity, then your bench. Uh, a lot of players wouldn't necessarily take the right attitude in that moment. But from what we see in practice and from what we see on the field and from what we see on the sideline, Jalen is the perfect example of professional, how to handle this adversity, how to put your head down, how to grind and how to grab your opportunity with two hands when you get on the pitch. And the goal was the cherry on the top of a great performance by him. And like I say, all I could think about the whole time after his goal was when we talked to him on Crown Corner back in the day, and he talked about what that moment meant for him and how special it was and how he couldn't believe how, how incredible this environment was that was created and how it's a dream come true. And imagine it was a dream come true playing for the first time there. Then to score a goal and to run into the crowd and to see people cheering your name, uh, it's just well-deserved for Jalen. Such a good kid. 
A lot of things to look forward to over the course of the next uh, week and a half because uh, after the international break over the weekend, Charlotte FC will play a week from Wednesday against New York Red Bulls and then uh, take on Montreal on the weekend. Uh, Charlotte FC hopefully with this time off has the ability to get some players back like Enzo Capetti, like Camille Josviak. Do not believe that Carol Svodersky is going to be with the team on Wednesday. They'll have a European qualifier against Moldova on Tuesday, which more than likely Svidersky is probably going to feature in if uh, the way that he's been used the Polish national team is any indicator. He did score for Poland uh, last time they had an international break, so we wish Carroll success. They'll play two games during the international window. I think they have a friendly with Germany on Friday as well, so uh, we'll see whether or not he gets some minutes with the national team. Wonder whether or not that means Bender is back in the attacking midfield on Wednesday, Jess, because uh, with the potential for Capetti and Josviak rejoining the lineup, there could be a bit of a clog uh, when it comes to the people up front. And I'm curious in the way that Christian Latanzia wants to employ those tactics here going into next Wednesday. Yeah, I'm thinking that this is a great opportunity for Ben Bender to get back-to-back starts, particularly with Carroll being unlikely to be returning. All we can ask for Carroll is that he plays well for Poland but avoids injury because that's the last thing we need right now. So Mm -hmm. let's all enjoy watching him thrive and just say a little prayer for his fitness and health. And I think you talk about that clog of attacking players, good problem to have. Competition breeds success. So hopefully we'll see everyone put their heads down and be fighting for those starting positions. Charlotte FC and New York Red Bulls a week from Wednesday. We'll give you a closer preview of that closer to the match and uh, hope you guys at least enjoy uh, the opportunity to uh, at least have a little, I don't want to say break from Charlotte FC football because you still have some crown legacy to watch as well. They play Wednesday against uh, Philadelphia Union and they also have a home match as well on the weekend at home. So be sure to get out and check out Charlotte FC's second team, Crown Legacy. Uh, You can find their games on Apple TV and at home uh, with the Mecklenburg Sportsplex for the weekend contest coming up later on this week. Jess, uh, enjoy a little bit of time off and uh, we'll catch up here next week. Absolutely, Willie P. No rest for the wicked. Mm -hmm. That is Charlotte FC's recap of Seattle Sounders. And of course, you heard it all right here on WFNZ's Crown Corner.